Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And we are delighted to welcome communications expert Carmine Gallo back to the show. Carmine is the best-selling author of Talk Like Ted and the presentation secrets of Steve Jobs. The last time he was on our podcast, he was discussing his book, Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. Carmine is a Harvard instructor, coach, and keynote speaker known for transforming some of the world's best-known CEOs into powerful storytellers and communicators. His latest book is about Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. It's called The Bezos Blueprint, Communication Secrets of the World's Greatest Salesman. Carmine, we thank you for joining us again. Well, thank you, Jan and Laura. It's nice to talk to you again. Thanks for that kind introduction. We are wondering what makes Jeff Bezos the world's greatest salesman. Why do you feel that way? Jeff Bezos began by selling dreams, not products. Imagine how difficult it must have been as a communication challenge to pitch a company that was nothing but an idea, didn't have a name for it uh, at the time. Jeff's boss tried to talk him out of it. This is 1994. And yet he believed in this thing called the Internet, which most people didn't even know what it was. And then you're asking people to put a credit card online on this thing called the Internet to buy something uh, digitally and have it shipped to your door. That was a tough sell. So he began, Jeff Bezos began building Amazon based on simplicity and helping people understand. And that's why he developed many communication strategies and mechanisms that Amazon continues to use today. The reason why I wrote the book is because I have been talking to current and former Amazon executives for many years, many of whom have copied or adopted some of the lessons they learned from Jeff Bezos to start their own companies. Most of those lessons fall under entrepreneurship, of course, but communication and entrepreneurship. One of the more well-known Bezos metaphors is day one. And I'm wondering what exactly that means and why there weren't any day twos in the 9,800 plus days that he ran Amazon. Great question. First, I'll explain day one, but then I'd like to follow that up with the broader topic that it speaks to. Uh, day one, as you said, is a metaphor that Jeff Bezos began using early on in his very first shareholder letter in 1997, and he re it remained consistent through 2021 in his last shareholder letter. That's a, a broad topic that we can also discuss, that consistency of message. Day one simply means approaching every day like it's the first day of your startup always growing, always learning, always innovating. And in 1994, 95, when they first started Amazon, they had to what Jeff Bezos called obsess over the customer. Obsessing over the customer was the main principle upon which Amazon uh, was founded. And so day one to him was a, a constant reminder, always obsess over the customer. Years later, he was asked at a town hall, an all hands meeting, Jeff, you always talk about day one. What is day two? What is that? And he says, day two is stasis, which is a term meaning stagnation. Uh, day two is stasis followed by an excruciating, painful decline. In other words, always have that growth mindset, always learning, always growing. 
But you brought up day one. And if you don't mind, I'd like to take it into a broader topic. Sure. Yeah. The One of the the reasons why I wrote a book about on Jeff Bezos, and I could have done this for Warren Buffett as well. Uh, both of those billionaires and those visionaries not only think in metaphor, they communicate in metaphor that this is an advanced communication, public speaking skill for all of our listeners. This is going to take you from one level to your next level in your career. Great public speakers identify analogies and metaphors that resonate with the audience. And so Jeff Bezos not only came up with day one, but where did he develop the name for Amazon? Amazon is a metaphor. The name was taken from Earth's biggest river, the Amazon in the in the uh, in South America. Earth's biggest river, good metaphor for Earth's biggest selection of products. He was always thinking in metaphor. He came up with the idea of two pizza teams, which in Silicon Valley and the startup world is kind of a hot topic. Topic. It simply means we're going to reduce uh, the size of teams working on particular projects or products. And how big should they be? Well, there isn't a, a really good answer on how big a team should be. So Jeff Bezos said, well, in, uh, in the early years of Amazon, we were able to feed an entire product team on two large pizzas. Why don't we call them two pizza teams? And that name stuck. He also created flywheels uh, to propel Amazon's growth. He was always thinking about an analogy or a metaphor, which going back to English grammar, metaphor is comparing two different things to show their similarities. Jeff Bezos was always thinking about metaphor as a way of instruction or education. That's an advanced communication topic. Uh, only the great public speakers do that, but it's something that everybody should be aware of and perhaps incorporate it into your own communication style. You talk about how some of the great business leaders like Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos read far more books than other people. Tell us more about that and why you think that's important. I'm so glad that I was able to write an entire chapter just on the power of books and reading because many of Amazon's features and products that most of us use every day come from are inspired by books that Jeff Bezos read and encouraged his leadership team to read as well. So whether it's Jeff Bezos or certainly Warren Buffett, who has said he reads six hours a day and many other visionaries and innovators, people who read more books than average tend to be uh, more innovative simply because they have more areas and disciplines from which to pull great ideas. There is an entire list in, in my book on the books that inspired Jeff Bezos and some of the products at, at Amazon. So I think getting back to the title of your podcast, which is a lot of fun, nobody told me, nobody is going to tell you, especially when it, maybe in college or when you graduate or early on in your career, nobody is going to tell you that reading more books than your peers will get you further in your career. Okay, but playing devil's advocate here, <laughs> what about people in my generation who would say, well, I don't read books, but I read a lot of articles on my phone and that's like the most modern ideas. Books offer the best ROI 
to use a startup term, right? The best return on investment because you're taking years and decades of somebody's experience and they're putting it into a 200 page book of, you know, $18 as a hardcover. That's a tremendous return on your, uh, on your time and your investment. Every leader I have ever interviewed or talked to or wrote about anyone who reaches the top has read far more books than the average person. And they pull ideas from different disciplines. That's the innovation part, that it helps make them creative. But I'm going to give you a different argument, too. I would argue that people who read more books are better communicators. They're more interesting communicators. They have more arrows in the quiver from which to pull. They have stories and anecdotes. So when I meet leaders who are constantly uh, re referencing different uh, nonfiction or business books or entrepreneurship memoirs, they're constantly coming up with these incredible stories and analogies and metaphors that make them far more interesting as communicators. One caveat, you mentioned your generation. That's fine. I am not suggesting that you read more hardcover books than your peers. There is a direct correlation between people who read books and podcast listeners. So by definition, most of your listeners are going to be reading more books, more articles than ever, or than their peers. Audiobooks fall into the same category. Uh, so now on a walk or in your car, you're listening to audiobooks. More than ever, many of my books are, I narrate my audiobooks. And so I hear from a, more and more people every day that are listening to business books on audio, on audible or audiobooks. So that too, the point is always have a growth mindset. That's the big point. You're constantly growing, constantly learning from people outside of your field. That's one of the reasons Jeff Bezos banned PowerPoint. Uh, a few people now know this. It's becoming more well-known, but Jeff Bezos banned PowerPoint in 2004 at Amazon because he didn't think PowerPoint slides were a good decision-making tool. Uh, PowerPoint is mostly bullets and text, at least traditional PowerPoint. That's not a good tool to make the best decisions. So he demanded that people start writing that's something else nobody told me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody probably tells you that learning to write is a crucial skill to advance in the 21st century. So writing is a very effective skill. And at Amazon, they teach people, they teach leaders to write better rather than uh, relying on PowerPoint. But getting back to the books real quickly, Jeff Bezos learned that concept, not from a book. He learned it from a very long essay that could have been a book. I read the essay. Um, it was by a, a gentleman named Tufty, who's a data visualization expert. Uh, but again, he's constantly learning something new, read about something that triggered his imagination, adopted it to fuel the growth in his own company. That's the point. Growth mindset people are the ones who stand out. And along those lines, you point out that one of Amazon's leadership principles is to think big. And I get that. But how does someone who is a small business owner translate that notion to their life? Good point about small business. Uh, and I was a little concerned about this when I was writing about Bezos, because I think people see Amazon as 
a company that employs 1.6 million people and is one of the, the biggest e-commerce, biggest retailers in the world. Don't forget that in 1994, it was just an idea. It was an idea to jump on this train called the Internet, which most people didn't even understand or could explain. Uh, he transformed that bold idea into one of the world's largest companies. But he started in the, in the garage of a rented home in Seattle. In 1997, he wrote a shareholder letter. This is the first time that Amazon went public. And he wrote a letter about the principles that Amazon was founded upon. I would urge everyone to find, it's really easy to find, go find the 1997 Jeff Bezos shareholder letter. Uh, Netflix co-founder Mark Randolph told me that he keeps it on his desk. He keeps a copy on his desk and rereads it once a year because it's the foundation upon which every company, every startup, every person with an idea, it should be based on some of these fundamentals. And one of them was obsessing over the customer. So Jeff Bezos understood even back then that the customer must take center stage. Everything has to be dead simple from the way you communicate to the customer, to the design of a website, to the entire experience need to be seamless, but he always put the customer first. And one of the big lessons that anyone can take away, especially small business owners, is if you have a vision and a mission for where you want to go, you're the keeper of the mission. You're the repeater in chief, the person who has to keep it center stage. So, for example, in 1997, Jeff Bezos wrote that Amazon, Amazon's vision is to obsess over the customer. He didn't have a mission statement yet. Two years later, he, in, he created more of a mission. Amazon's mission is to be Earth's most customer-centric company. In 2021, it was still the mission, and it's still the mission today. Why? Because the person who came up with the vision for the company constantly kept it in front of everyone, customers, partners, employees. Jeff Bezos famously had an empty chair visible at meetings. When you walked into an Amazon meeting, there was an empty chair. It was a symbol, a symbol for the most important voice in the room that wasn't in the room, the customer. So the big point for entrepreneurs, small business owners, anyone with an idea is keep your mission center stage. You're the repeater in chief. You're the chief storyteller. You're the one who has to keep it upfront and obvious for everyone and consistent. So you must repeat that mission strongly and consistently throughout all of your communication, if it's meaningful to you. What can we learn from him, though, about really defining what that mission is going one step further? At the time, your mission is going to be your mission is going to be different. Your mission is right. certainly going to be different. Uh, I'm not saying copy Amazon's mission. Oh, no, but, no, no. I, do, yeah. I don't I don't mean like copying Amazon's mission. Right. I guess just. I think that even when we were trying to come up with the idea for the show, it's hard to come up with a mission. I mean, he did it and he came up with such a succinct way of, mm-hmm. of making something that really was lasting. But I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, overwhelming to, to think of something that could last just like Amazon's has. It's not necessarily to think about something that lasts, but you have to have a compelling vision 
to which to draw from. Not only does it give you excitement and energy, but it also keeps you uh, it keeps you honest. Uh, everything has to come back to supporting that vision. That's why being Earth's most customer-centric company was an interesting mission because even the symbols that he used would come back to support that mission, whether it was the empty chair um, or or the door desks. Have you ever heard of the story about the door desks at Amazon? No, I'm not sure how pop, how well known no. that is. You've heard that? No, we haven't. No, tell oh. us. Okay, so true story, because Mark Randolph told me, the co-founder of Netflix. So early on, Mark and um, Reed Hastings, who's the current CEO of, of uh, Netflix, they had co-founded Netflix a few years after they co-founded it. They were looking for a strategic partner, maybe even someone to buy it. So they visited Jeff Bezos up in up in Seattle. And in in the office, they were working on desks, but they were desks made from doors unfinished wooden doors that they bought at like a local Home Depot with the uh, the doorknobs. They they had a filler for the doorknobs, but it was a desk like on a sawhorse. And Jeff and uh, Mark Randolph looks at Jeff Bezos and says, OK, Jeff, what's with the desks? Because he, he thought it was ridiculous. And Jeff Bezos had a very serious answer for him. And he said, it's a symbol. It's a symbol that is a constant reminder that if we're going to put the customer first, we have to keep our prices low. And that starts internally by keeping our internal expenses low. And, and Mark Randolph, you know, he, he, they didn't sell to Amazon, but Mark Randolph left thinking this guy's pretty visionary and pretty brilliant. Wow. But again, it's, it's if Same you have a vision, whatever your vision might be, Everything has to support that vision. Uh, and, and yeah, that's why it is it, hard, but also important to come up with something that inspires you every day and is doesn't have to be long term. But what does your company or your idea stand for? How is it different? How is it going to, as Jeff Bezos said, surprise and delight people at every turn? Yeah, spend some time working on that mission or vision if you don't have it. Hey, can I just bring up a personal story? Sure. Now that I'm thinking of it. Of course. Uh, of course yeah. Look, the, uh, I don't think I did this uh, intentionally or consciously, but early on in my career, when I was making the transition from television news to writing books and starting my own practice as a communication expert, okay, what does that mean? Communication, communication expert. Uh, there's a lot of communication experts, I guess. I wrote on my first business card, uh, the communication coach for the world's most admired brands. Now, at the time, I didn't have the most admired brands, but it was just an internal vision. Sure, uh, yeah. The communication coach, communication was everything. To, to whom? I really wanted to focus on the CEOs and leaders of the biggest brands in the world and those that are the most admired. Cause I only want to work with companies that I like, you know, personally, right. Sure, admire. Yeah. And now I can legitimately say that 70% of the top 10 most admired brands by fortune, I've worked with either the CEO or senior executives of, of those companies. Uh, but it has to start from somewhere. You have to have some kind of vision that you're shooting for. Otherwise there's no direction. 
And you know how everybody pivots? Everyone's pivoting now. Pivot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. pivot. I hear that all the time. In 2000, in the year 2000, uh, Amazon lost 90% of its value. It was written off. Headlines in the in Barron said Amazon dot bomb. And Jeff Bezos said, let's continue to just handle what we can handle, which is our continued obsession over the customer. Let's continue to build something that is going to keep the customer not only satisfied, but surprised and delighted at every turn. And we might be able to come out of this unscathed. Uh, and obviously, if you had if you had invested in, in Amazon when it had lost 90 percent, you'd be a very wealthy by now. Happy camper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, it just it, somebody has to be the keeper of the mission. Otherwise, it's just a mission statement written on a wall or tucked into a desk somewhere. You know, Carmine, I'm wondering how the shift to remote work during the pandemic has impacted the need for good communication skills in the workplace. How has has that changed? Remember, I began this conversation by saying nobody told me that learning to write is an essential skill. Mm -hmm. I have spoken to many executives uh, and, and also communication experts and writing experts that the written word is more important now than ever before, because as a manager or as a business professional, you're constantly sending emails, you're updating people via memos. Uh, especially if you're a manager. Most of the managers I talk to are trying to be better writers now because they're they have to communicate cross-culturally, across countries, across languages, because people are dis what's called distributed work. And they, they have to make their writing simple and clear. So it's not followed up by a bunch of emails where because people don't understand what you're saying. And so this whole idea of simplicity in writing which is a, an entire section of the book, is really crucial. How to write directly and simply so that everyone understands what the instructions are. So there are two things in particular that I think I can offer your audience to make it easy for them to become better writers, if you'd like to hear it. Of course. Of course, yes. Because writing is a little intimidating. We know that. Yeah. Uh, most people say, well, I can't write. Uh, writing is hard and it's supposed to be hard. While I was writing my book, which was hard, uh, I heard a podcast with Jerry Seinfeld. And Jerry Seinfeld said, don't let anyone fool you. Writing anything is hard. It's like pushing a wheelbarrow full of bricks uphill in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be hard and it is hard. So what I try to do is identify what are those habits of good business professional writers that anybody can easily adopt. There's two in particular, real simple. One is strive to write in the active voice as much as possible. Uh, active voice, going back to grammar school, is subject, verb, object. The boy kicked the ball is one of the simplest sentences in the English language, and also easy to follow if you follow the subject and the verb next. Once you put uh, the ball was kicked by the boy, all of a sudden it becomes a little more complicated, just a tad bit, and you have to think about it a little harder. So it consumes more mental energy. Now imagine when you have complicated things to send out. So the first thing you should do, strive to write in the active voice. The email subject could be new hybrid work policy begins today. 
Great. In one sentence, in an active sentence, I know that the subject is new hybrid work policy begins today. I can choose to read it or I can choose to file it away. Or maybe I already know the information in the email. But in one sentence, I get it immediately. That's what headline writers do in newspapers, mostly active voice. The other thing is replace. Here's the second tip. Replace long words with short ones. I have an entire chapter in the book. I had so much fun with this. <clears throat> Smart leaders use short words to talk about hard things. The more complex an issue becomes, a good communicator and a good writer will use shorter, simpler language, which means going back to like one syllable or two syllable words rather than long convoluted words. So if I were to say to you, anything that has needs an immediate action. We tend to already go back to simple words. If I were to say to you, uh, hey, Jan and Laura, uh, make sure to uh, turn off the lights when you leave the house. Turn off the lights when you leave the house. Every one of those words, if I think about it, I think they're all one syllable words. I do not say, uh, Jen and, and Laura, reduce the illumination in the premises upon upon departing the premises. <laughs> we don't say that. When we want to make a point, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The, the, the most famous quotes and speeches are often one and two syllable words. Uh, Re Reagan did not say, uh, Gor Mr. Gorbachev, dismantle the edifice. <laughs> and yet here's what happens when we think about it. We start thinking about it in our professional communication and we begin to overthink. And uh -huh. when we say to ourselves, oh, we got to sound smart. We've got to sound like we know what we're talking about. And pretty soon it's so convoluted and so long and complicated that nobody gets it. So nobody told me, nobody's going to tell you this. No one's going to tell you when you're in college or when you're starting your work that your boss appreciates simple, easy to follow instructions. Along those lines, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about Jeff Bezos that you learned while you were doing all this exhaustive research on him? Nobody told me the, <laughs> pretty much everything we just talked about. So this is a hard one. Uh, but nobody told me that good communication, great communicators are made, not born. And I guess I knew this intuitively uh, because I've written books on the TED Talks and I've also written a book on Steve Jobs. And I think this is the big lesson for everybody that no one's going to tell you. Nobody is going to tell you that you can grow as a communicator, a writer, a public speaker. It's a skill. Writing is a skill. Public speaking is a skill. So over time, for example, I'll just take Jeff Bezos as the example. Jeff Bezos, in if you look at his early videos from 1997, when he first started talking about Amazon, he was not the most comfortable speaker. By uh, 2020 or 2019, 2020, when he is uh, launching Blue Origin, a space company, and giving big public presentations on it, he is very charismatic, very, very polished. And he be, also became a better writer over time. His early shareholder letters, I analyzed all 24 shareholder letters. His early ones were a little more complicated, a little convoluted, a little harder to follow. Uh, by 2007, he started writing 
much simpler, engaging, interesting, shorter sentences, shorter words, even though Amazon was growing in complexity. And I learned by the people who knew him that was intentional, always growing, always learning. How do I become a better writer? How do I become a better public speaker? Every single person I've interviewed or who I've talked to who is considered a good, charismatic speaker has early in their career uh, been maybe nervous about it or anxious or not as good as they are today. So the person you see on stage today, if you think someone is a great speaker, more likely than not, they've worked at it. They've worked hard at it. It's a skill. And like any skill, you can improve. Love that. And Carmine, how can people connect with you and support all the great work that you're doing? If you go to CarmineGallo.com, you'll find ways of contacting me, plus information on all my books. So CarmineGallo.com. But please look me up on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only Carmine Gallo in California, from what I've been able to tell. Uh, So I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn, and I communicate with everybody uh, who sends me a message. So Carmine Gallo on LinkedIn, Carmine Gallo on Twitter. Uh, so yes, you can find me as long as you remember a good Italian name like Carmine Gallo, but I'd love to hear from you. And Gallo is spelled G-A-L-L-O. G-A-L-L-O. Yes. Carmine, it's been a delight to talk with you again. Thank you so much. This has really been fun. And I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've brought up a lot of points that people can adapt in their own lives and in their own businesses, even if they're not running Amazon. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. I get our thanks to Carmine Gallo, whose latest book is called The Bezos Blueprint, Communication Secrets of the World's Greatest Salesman. And his website is CarmineGallo.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.